0: The following is provided by Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and available at itunes.covenant.edu. Welcome to chapel on this Tuesday morning. We continue with our annual series on marriage, family, and community, and we continue to have the privilege of listening to Dr. Paul Tripp. Just a few more words about Dr. Tripp. He graduated with his bachelor's degree from Columbia Bible College, now Columbia International University. He went on to get his Master's of Divinity degree at Reformed Episcopal Seminary, now known as Philadelphia Theological Seminary. I'm not sure what it is about Dr. Tripp, but he keeps going to schools that have to change their names. Uh, but then he received his Doctor of Ministry from Westminster Theological Seminary, which to this day is still known as Westminster Theological Seminary. Upon getting his doctoral degree there after serving as a pastor. He was asked to join the faculty of Westminster Seminary, so he has served as a uh, church pastor, as a church planter, as a seminary professor, as a counselor, and it's my privilege to introduce him to you as our speaker this morning, Dr. Paul Tripp.
1: Good morning. Well, you can't look at your relationships with any kind of honesty without asking the question, what in the world is God doing? Why would a God of awesome wisdom, amazing grace, boundless love, allow these relationships to be marred with such disappointment, fear, anxiety, difficulty. Why do relationships have to be so hard? You know, probably the the, the two most important questions you could ask about your relationships, not why doesn't this person like me more, but here's the two. What is it that God is doing. What in the world is God doing in my relationships? What is it that he's doing? Uh, It's so easy to be confused about what God is doing in those relationships. Here's the second question. And how in the world should I respond to it? What in the world is God doing in my relationships? And how in the world should I respond to it? Let me frame our discussion this morning with this story. My my father was a very hard working man. Uh, he believed in the Protestant work ethic. He believed that work wasn't a pain, it was a dignity. And he got up early and he worked late. Uh, he had a couple businesses out of our home and so he worked a lot when he was at home and when my dad worked, he liked everybody else in the family to work. I enjoyed that. <laughs> and one of the things my dad fixated on was the fact that he had never been able to afford a brand new car. That piece of the American dream and that bothered him. And, and finally he was able to cobble together enough money and uh, this will sound like ancient history to you college students, But in 1959, he went out and bought a Plymouth Belvedere. Now you're way too young to know what this car is like, so I must explain it to you. It was was manufactured in the time when cars had big fins on the back. You couldn't drive this car in the wind. And it was, what was cool in those days were two-tone cars. And this car was painted peach and cream. It looked like a bad dessert and it had this white roll and pleat, uh, fake leather substance, sort of a plasticine thing that was popular in those days called hide. Uh When it got warm, you would stick to it. You would say, dear, I want to get out of the car, I can't, It's stuck. I'm stuck. And he drove that car into our driveway that that Friday, and he was so excited. It was like he had arrived, like his life was now worth it. His dream was complete. I was just a little guy, and he, he had us get in the car and sit behind that big ivory-colored steering wheel, uh, had us rub our hands across the fins. <laughs> uh, he was so proud. The next Morning he thought, I got a brand new car, I might as well join AAA. The American Automobile Association just seemed right. He was dreaming, this was the days before GPS, of going down the AAA and they would map out a family vacation and we'd go across the country in the Plymouth Belvedere hoping that it wouldn't be windy. (laughs) So he piled my little, my brother Mark and I into the car, just little guys, and he drove down on that Saturday morning toward Uh, AAA in the center of Toledo, Ohio where he lived, probably driving faster than he should, wheeled that big boat into the parking lot of AAA, was blinded by the sun, and crashed it on a post in the middle of the lot. He got out and he mumbled to himself, I might as well join AAA anyway. Walked to the front door only to find that it was closed on Saturdays. And I'll never forget my dear father walking back and standing in front of his then crumpled dream. And clenching his fist and yelling, what in the world is going on? Now, if you haven't hit that moment in a relationship, you will someday. You'll hit a moment where... You thought you had your dream. You thought you finally found a relationship that wouldn't hurt you and wouldn't disappoint you and wouldn't offend you. And you'll stand looking at a now dented relationship and you'll think, why God? Why God? Why God? Why? Why does it have to be painful? Why do we have to negotiate the minefield of one another's weakness? Why can't it just be easier? Why? I want you to hear me say this. If you can't answer that question right now, you don't understand what God's doing in your relationships. And you're going to hit moments that will be terribly confusing. And you'll stand like my dad in front of that dented relationship and you won't know what to do. I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours with people just in that position, trying to hold on to their faith in God with this hand, and trying to hold on to this dented relationship. And these two things don't make any sense to them. Grab your Bibles there and turn to Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 3, I'm going to read 3 through 9. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls. James is right or Peter is writing to people who are being hammered. And he wants them to understand why this God of love this God of grace would ever let this kind of difficulty in their lives. And if you look at the first couple verses that I read, uh, Peter looks back to the past. Praise God for the salvation he's given. He looks forward to the future and that inheritance that has been locked away for us. But his real interest is in the here and now. Let me propose this to you that we tend to have a pretty clear understanding of salvation past, the grace that we've been given in Jesus Christ. And we tend to have a pretty good understanding of salvation future, that eternity that we're going to have with the Lord. But we get confused about what it is that God is doing in the messiness of the here and now. Your life is messy. I didn't mean your dorm room. Meet your life. It's it's full of of messiness and unpredictable predictability. None of us could write our own story. You couldn't have written yourself into this moment. What is it that God is doing in all of that? Now, look if you would at verse uh, six. He says, "In this, you greatly rejoice." Talking about salvation past, salvation future though now, now, this is his focus, now you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Now check this out. When Peter looks to describe what it is that God is doing in the here and now, of all the descriptive terms he could use, of all the adjectives that are available to him, in the human vocabulary of all those nouns that would would characterize what's going on, look at the kind of terms he uses. Are you ready for this? Grief, suffer, trial. Three words that I would propose you don't actually want in your life. There's no one here who woke up this morning and prayed, God, my life has been way too comfortable. If you could just send some trial my way, that would be cool. I would feel so loved. <clears throat> why, w- why would Peter think that those three words, grief, suffering, trial, are the best description ever of what in the world, is going on right now? What in the world God is doing right now? In fact, I would propose to you, unless you understand why Peter would choose those three words, you don't understand your relationships. To help us as... Scripture often does. Peter uses a physical illustration for us. God designed his world in such a way that his world is a constant illustration of spiritual truths. That's not an accident. That was God's intention. And he uses the example of metallurgy. Now, unless your eyes glaze over and you fall asleep at this moment, please hang on here. This is a great illustration that Peter uses. When a metallurgist mines a metal, he finds it in an ore state. Ore is not very usable. It's not very attractive because ore has imperfections in it. And those imperfections rob the ore of its strength and rob the ore of its beauty. I mean, there are people here who have jewelry on, no one's wearing ore. No, you won't say, my boyfriend bought me some ore, he loves me so much. (laughs) Just doesn't happen. Because the metallurgist knows that in order for that ore to be usable and strong and attractive, he's got to add a catalytic agent, white hot heat, liquefy that metal and boil out of it its imperfections. Now fasten your seatbelts and put on your crash helmets. Here we go. When you come to Christ, you are an horrific Christian. No, I didn't say horrific. You're an horrific Christian. You have imperfections in you and those imperfections rob you of your strength and rob you of your beauty. If you're all able to be honest, your orism showed this week. Maybe in a flash of irritation. Maybe in a titillated moment of gossip. Maybe in a secret moment of lust. Maybe in a flash of cheating. maybe pushing yourself to the center of attention because you want to be the center of attention somehow some way those imperfections showed now hear this god couldn't possibly be a loving faithful gracious redeemer and leave you in that ore state. Just like it'd be ridiculous to go through the process of mining a metal and leave it as ore. That would make no sense. That would be mining irrationality. In the same way, it would make no sense for your Redeemer to be comfortable with you living in the throes of your own orism. So hear this so God, in the grandeur of his love and mercy, will boil you. Here's the principle. God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. Now hear this. Why are are relationships difficult? Why are they messy? Hear this. Because your relationships are one of God's most effective boiling pots. You want to get your heart revealed? Have a good friendship with somebody. You want to get it doubly revealed? Get married. You want to know about more about yourself than you ever wanted to know? Have children. You see, you've got to hear me say this. Those difficulties that all of us face in our relationships are not a sign of God's unfaithfulness and inattention. They are a sure sign of the presence of His redemptive love. What is God? doing in those relationships he's exposing you he wants you to see weaknesses and imperfections and wants that to produce a dissatisfaction in your heart that will drive him drive you to him what's he doing in your relationships hear this he's driving you to the end of yourself. Because true righteousness only begins when you come to the end of yourself. And you begin to reach out for the mercy and the grace and the wisdom and the power that can only ever be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our problem in our relationships is not that we're asking too much from God. Our problem in our relationships is that we would settle for too little. I would settle for a couple people who just think I'm cool, I would settle for a little bit of affirmation and acceptance. I would settle for a wife who thinks I'm right all the time, who is enthralled with my wisdom, who finds that she lives most when she's in my presence, who has the highlight of her day, the moment when I arrive back at the house. You see, I would settle For my own little claustrophobic definition of happiness, hear this God loves you more than to deliver that ultimately unsatisfying dream. That dream will never satisfy, it can't. And so it's not a mistake that in this here-and-now time our relationships are messy. That's not a sign that God has forgotten us. It's not a sign that His promises aren't faithful. It's not a sign that His presence isn't with us. It's actually a sign of the opposite. It's a sign that God loves us and He has wonderful goals for us that are much greater and much finer and much more beautiful than the goals we would have for ourselves. God will take you in your relationships where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. I know in the middle of those difficulties you cry out for release. You cry out for relief. And there are moments when God does give you relief and release, but listen, what God gives you most is refinement. I think that in the middle of the messiness of relationships, we need to comfort one another with the theology of uncomfortable grace the theology of uncomfortable grace, I think there are many times when you're struggling in a a relationship and you're crying out, where is the grace of God? You're getting the grace of God. But it's not the grace of relief. And it's not the grace of release. It's not the grace of, of comfort and affirmation. It's the grace of refinement because that's exactly what you need. Think about this. Who in this room would stand today and say, I am everything God has ever designed a human being to be? Anybody say that? That means the one who has mined you from the mass of humanity and taking you as his own looks down at you and he sees orism still. He sees horrific actions and reactions and words and choices and he couldn't possibly love you and leave you in that place. Perhaps Are you listening to me? Perhaps our problem is that we have a different agenda for our lives and our relationships than our Savior does. Perhaps we would be satisfied for the temporary glories of the details of our dream. And perhaps God is rescuing us from us so that we would know the everlasting glories of knowing Him and being formed in His likeness. I want to warn you. If you're not on God's pra- page, your Lord Will frustrate you. He'll frustrate you. Because hear this, he will not shrink his grace to the size of your claustrophobic agenda. He won't do it. Because that wouldn't be love. There are people in this room this morning, you're frustrated with your Savior. And you tell yourself in your frustration that he has failed you. That maybe he's not so faithful. But he is faithful. He's doing exactly what he promised to do. Are you ready for this? He's saving you. The problem is He just doesn't happen to be on your agenda page. And you've got to hear this. He loves you too much to jump off his agenda page onto yours. Because the minute he does that, he ceases to be your sovereign and your savior. And at that point, Please hear me say this. There's no hope for you or your relationships. Your only hope is that he will continue to be sovereign. And he will continue to be savior. And he will not forsake his purpose. Because in his zeal for his purpose is hope for you and hope for your relationships. God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not possibly achieve on your own. I would ask you this morning are you frustrated? Are you discouraged? Could it be that what you want for you is vastly different? than what your savior wants for you. Wouldn't it be better to make his purpose for you, your purpose for you? This is a God of awesome grace, and he will not compromise that grace to put a temporary smile on your face. He loves you too much. Let's pray. Lord, I would humbly confess that there are many times I've questioned your grace. There are many times I've doubted your wisdom there are many times where I've brought you into the court of my judgment and judged you as being an unfaithful friend. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive me and forgive all of us for those moments when, when we think we know better than you and we think we are wiser than you. Thank you that you love us so much that you will not leave us in our orism. But you will boil us and boil us and boil us until every last weakness and every last imperfection has been totally and completely and comprehensively eradicated. Thank you. give us a love for your plan, a love for your purpose that's greater than our allegiance to our own. And may we find joy even in the messy moments and painful moments of relationship, knowing that in those moments, they're not just a rational difficulty, but it's part of a reasonable plan That's for our good, for our rescue, for our salvation. Thank you that uh, that is true. Help us, we would pray. We pray this in the sweet and strong name of Jesus. Amen.
0: The preceding was provided by Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and available at itunes.covenant.edu.